Welcome to AP GoPocast from Whitman Hanson Regional High School in Whitman, Massachusetts. I'm history and government teacher Steve Botello, and joining me every episode are students from our Advanced Placement United States Government and Politics course to share their insights on current political news stories in these turbulent times. Student guests will discuss the facts and sources of these stories, make connections to our curriculum, and most importantly, share their own opinions on the big issues of the day. This is AP GoPocast Season 2, Episode 6. It was recorded on April 7th, 2021, and today I'm joined by Brian, Haley, and Andrew, and they're going to discuss some presidential foreign policy. Okay, Brian, would you like to start us off and say hello? Hi. And Haley? Hi. And Andrew. Hello. Hello. All right, folks. So we have a a few different topics that we're going to hear about today. The last time that you folks read and wrote a little bit for our class was about the president, the budget, and the bureaucracy. And that's a really big topic that is an umbrella over a whole bunch of other smaller topics. So we are going to bounce around to a few different ideas here and see if we can find ways to connect them to what we're studying in class and maybe even find some ways to connect these topics to each other. We'll see if we can if we can manage to do that. Brian's going to start us off first, and Brian's going to tell us a, a little bit about some foreign policy and the last couple of presidential administrations. So, Brian, what is it that you want to talk to us about? On the surface, it seems like their foreign policy, especially when it comes to China, can be it's very it seems very different with Biden taking a more diplomatic approach compared to Trump. But arguably, when it comes to like how they're actually dealing with it, I want to say it's a lot the same where Biden's kept all these tariffs that the Trump administration put in and haven't really lift them, which was something that was like kind of argued and debated upon in the election. Whereas do you want to keep this trade war going or do you want to ease it up and try to get more integration and economic integration with China? Where I thought it was interesting where Biden was on the side of more like integration, like trading and easing up the tariffs, but it doesn't seem like he's actually doing it. And um, I mean, I guess probably a large part of that is that you don't want to be conceding to China, especially right now, because it seems to be a lot more scrutiny on the, the Communist Party just because of what happened in Hong Kong, what's happening to the Uyghurs, and then also increased tension over Taiwan in recent and a little bit like recently, where I think if you ease up on China right now, it's going to be... It's going to look bad for Biden just because it looks like he's eating up, easing up on this authoritarian state that keeps on encroaching on people's liberties. Okay. So if the Trump administration began this trade war and began the tariffs, Biden is going to continue them, you think, or, or maybe that's what's happening. Biden might be continuing these to maintain a, a policy stance based on what China is doing. Yeah. 
So if that's what Biden is going to continue the tariffs for, is that the same reason why the Trump administration began the tariffs and began their policies? No, it was more economic reasons because I think Trump was claiming, like, arguing the trade deficit with China, which, and then was arguing about intellectual property, which is also might be a business reason why it still keep going because you also could probably have to think about that a little bit with who supports Biden monetarily, but you also. With increased scrutiny, you also can't also just ease up on them at the same time. Interesting. So we're going from a very conservative Republican to a liberal Democrat administration, and they're keeping a consistent policy, but maybe for different reasons. Yeah. Can anybody think of another reason why the Biden administration might keep these tariffs even if China wasn't engaged in some questionable behaviors in, as Brian put it, in Hong Kong or with the Uyghur, might there be any other reasons why China or, or why the United States government may continue its economic policies on China from one presidential administration to another? Maybe Biden thinks he can make a deal that the Trump administration couldn't and actually get some of the Trump's administration's demands where Trump couldn't. And kind of like one up him? Possibly, I suppose. I haven't heard much about the Biden administration and their stance on China. I don't know if, if you folks have. I haven't read any position papers yet from the administration. I think it's still kind of kind of early. Yeah. Like I know, uh, I'm pretty sure I read earlier today that Xi Jinping, like the Xi Jinping there is the foreign leader that Biden has talked to the most to. But it doesn't seem like anything's really happening on that front. Like, no real big news has happened between the U.S. and China recently since Biden's been elected. Interesting. I wonder if, I wonder if one of the reasons why the Trump administration's policies on China were as noteworthy as they were, because they came so very quickly, kind of out of nowhere, and they made real big changes really fast. And maybe you're pointing out something that presidential administrations typically do is if they do make changes, those changes tend to come a little bit slower. And then maybe one of the things that made the Trump administration different was their willingness to do things very, very quickly. But let me ask the question in a, in a little bit of a different way. Why might it actually benefit the Biden administration to keep Trump policies in place, whether it's foreign policy with China or maybe even some domestic policy, but especially foreign policy, why might it benefit one president to keep some of those policies in place, even if they didn't agree with them? This isn't just for Brian. Anybody could, could answer this one if you wanted to. You can I, go could see, uh, thank you. I could see Biden keeping a whole, uh, not a whole lot, but some of the Trump policies in place because uh, he might be trying to win over some of the more uh, like swing voters. And if they were a big fan of some of the policies that Trump made, if he keeps them in place and doesn't remove them, then he could uh, try maybe try and swing some voters off to his side if he try decides to rerun. I don't know how that's going to go. It's possible. Cause we, did, we did notice that it, most of the time presidents will, when they run for office, they tend to at first during the primary season of appeal to the very far edges, the fringe edges of their party and their ideology. And then they tend to govern much more centrist in fashion. I think President Trump 
was a little different in that regard, not a little different, a lot different. He didn't really govern from the center, but most presidents in, in modern American politics have done that. So maybe, like Andrew says, maybe this is Biden being a little bit more centrist if he wants to keep his job and try to get some of those Trump voters. Could there be another reason why a president, regardless if it's Biden following Trump, it could be any president following another president, could there be any reason why they might want to keep some policies or, or at least change them very, very slowly? It might be a calculated risk for Biden where he has a potential to face Trump again in 2024, where if he has some Trump policies going and it looks like they're just not working and he gives it the time to prove it doesn't work, then that's going to help him in the reelection campaign. That's that's interesting. That's a, that's a long game there to get elected try to keep some policies in place so that may help him keep his job. One of the things that presidents have to balance with foreign policy is how the United States appears to other countries and how we'll be able to maintain relationships with other nations and follow a consistent track record. So maybe the Biden administration isn't making big swift changes on Trump foreign policy in part, as Brian said, because Perhaps they want to punish China for its recent behaviors, but maybe also because they want to show a little bit of consistency. One of the difficult things about American politics and, and American government is the fact that we and our top-level administration can swing so wildly from one ideology to another, to go from an Obama to a Trump to a Biden, to go from liberal to conservative to liberal again. That could really give world politics whiplash. And how could other governments around the world know how to deal with the United States if policies are constantly going to change? How would you make a treaty with the U.S. if you didn't know how, if you could consistently rely on their foreign, foreign policy to stay at least predictable? So maybe maybe there's something to Biden keeping the Trump policies in place, at least for the moment, so that the European allies and maybe even some of our enemies, or I don't want to call them enemies, uh, some of our less friendly acquaintances across the globe, maybe they uh, can feel a little bit of consistency with American foreign policy. Maybe that could be. I don't know. Now, Haley, you wanted to talk a little bit about Trump versus Biden, but instead of Asia with foreign policy there, you're you're looking at foreign policy with Europe. Yeah, so my article talked a little bit about foreign policy with China, too, and how um, Trump kind of had an aggressive stance against China, but it didn't really talk that much about how Biden's stance was on China. Um, but it talked about how similarly, like the Trump administration was kind of aggressive towards the European Union and saw them as like an enemy. And the Biden administration has so Trump like installed tariffs with the, the European Union and um when Biden was elected into office, he and the European Union both agreed to suspend the tariffs for a little bit just to see, give it like a test run and see how it'll go. And it's kind of a step towards like partnership and like um, even like an ally, an economic ally across the world for the U.S. Now, Haley, just for your personal viewpoint, your opinion, do you think that the United States should be more closely involved in a trade relationship with Europe? Or would you like to see the U.S. a little bit more concerned about its own goals and its own 
trade existence. So what's what's important to you? I think both you have to kind of do in moderation. You can't take you can't be too selfish, but you also can't be too selfless. And I think a relationship with the European Union would, is definitely like a plus in my opinion, because especially if the Biden administration and Trump administration want to continue kind of seeing China as like an economic um, enemy, kind of, if they kind of want to lessen their power throughout the world, they definitely can't do that themselves. So you see the U.S. really needing trade allies to combat against a growing Chinese influence in the world? Yeah, definitely. So we're not... We're not thinking about the United States and China really necessarily being economic enemies, but there is something to a competitive nature on the world economic stage. You know, who's which country is going to have a majority of the control or influence, maybe, in the world stage when it comes to the economy? Is it going to be the U.S. or is it going to be China? Because as we've discussed before, China and the United States have very different economic theories and very different outlooks on the role that you, know, you and I as average people ought to play in that economy. All right. Thank you, Haley. Andrew, what did you want to bring up today? So I kind of want to talk about how just in, on a more broader level that the, the federal debt uh, crisis is uh, not so hot. You know, it's not looking fantastic according to the Congressional Budget Office. And um, so a lot of that's going to be due to COVID. And with COVID spending decreasing, the deficit's going to decrease slightly. But the the CBO is warning that uh, at the second half of the decade, the deficit's going to continue to grow. And then that's going to impact our ability to uh, fight things like climate climate change, improve infrastructure, address economic concerns, and theoretically even like uh, impair our ability to respond to like racial and like other sorts of injustice. So for the people who are going to be listening to this, who aren't really sure what the CBO is, I think it's, we we know we have an idea, but like the heck is the CBO? Um, Well, it stands for the congressional budget office and they're kind of in charge of uh, the budget. And like they kind of warn people and tell people about what's going on. And uh, yeah. So they're not we're not talking about uh, members of Congress, actually. These aren't Republicans and Democrat elected members of Congress. This is these are actually uh, economists and really the accountants of Congress who work in a nonpartisan way. They're not again, they're not Republicans they're not Democrats. They're advising our Republicans and Democrats in Congress, supposedly in a nonpartisan way, in a very fair way about what this budget really looks like. This, How important do you think this CBO advice is, Andrew? Do you think that members of Congress should be paying attention to this or should they be focused on something else as they're getting the budget ready? I feel like they should definitely keep it in mind because uh, a quote from them is they said that the crisis is like an air raid siren that can be heard for miles. So, you know, they're not making it seem like it's something you can just like ignore and just kind of hope it goes away while you uh, just kind of fund other things. So they should probably address uh, it. Yeah. One of the things we did in class very briefly was to look at some other ways that we can balance the budget and, and how really balancing the budget or forming the federal budget is about our values. 
the sorts of things that you find important, you want to see as part of the budget, and the things that you don't find as important, you, you maybe don't want to spend so much money on. So, Andrew, if we're going to balance the budget, if the federal government, if Congress are going to find a way to write a budget that creates less of a deficit and balances it a little bit more, what is something that you would like to see the federal government spend a little less on? Um, so our military budget is very, very big. It's bigger than the next 10 countries combined. And my dad is a Marine. I love the military. I just feel like that's, you know, a, maybe a little bit too much money that we're spending on the military. So if we just, we don't have to like, just take that money and put it somewhere else, reduce it, something. I feel like that'd be a good start. Okay. Now, Haley, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to ask you the same question. If there was something that the federal government could spend a little bit less on in an effort to maybe try and balance the budget, what do you think it should be? Sorry, my dog is like going crazy, but um, <laughs> I no, I definitely agree with what Andrew said. I think the military budget is like extremely high and I think it's kind of hard because each person's situation is different and each person's situation is on their individual level. And it's kind of hard to kind of, you know, reevaluate where to put the money. If, you know, obviously, it, let's say you go homeless, obviously you understand that. But and if you don't have health care, you understand that. So it'd be kind of hard to say where that money would go because it obviously depends on everybody's situation. Everybody wants the money to go to their cause. But I, yeah, I definitely agree with the military it could be a good start. Okay. And Brian, if we're going to pose the same question to you, if there was a way that we could get a little bit closer to balancing the budget and we had to spend a little bit less money federally, what would you want to spend a little bit less on? I guess the military, because if you think about it a lot, we have bases in all like, I think it was like 90 something countries. I forget, I don't remember the exact number where I don't think we need to police the world as much and kind of let some regions get policed by powers within that region that are allied rather than having us defend them. So you'd like to see a slightly lesser role for the United States in foreign policy from a military standpoint. That's interesting. So we're, we're balancing out here these ideas about how presidents go from one administration to another and how they are able to maintain some sort of consistent foreign policy and and trying different things maybe doing different things or slowly changing the foreign policy because it can be a real shock to the system and then we got into the cbo and somehow managed to get ourselves all the way back to the united states on the foreign stage again and if we are going to be spending less in the military. At least uh, Brian would maybe like to see us reduce some of that spending on our military presence overseas. It's all connected in one way or another. And it's, it's really, it's really kind of amazing. Thank you very much for, for coming and sharing your insights. Uh, it, it's great. Thank you, uh, Brian. It's good to see you. Have a good day. And Haley and uh, Andrew, you folks want to say goodbye to the, the folks at home? Bye. 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 All right. I will, uh, I will see you folks tomorrow. Thank you very much. Good job. Um, and enjoy the rest of your wonderful